God's word. From Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Uh, I'm going to give you a little fair warning. Uh, if I have a little coughing fit in the middle, it's not the vid. Uh, I've had a little cold the last couple weeks, and we're remodeling our house, so I just feel drywall in my throat. So if you've ever done that, uh, that's what's going on. But let me pray for us one more time before we dive in. Uh, Jesus, um, thank you for this word. Thank you for the peace that you've given us in your son. I pray that your spirit would be at work in this time, that you would work in and through me, a broken vessel and that ultimately your word would be communicated. No matter how we enter today, I pray that you would meet us, that you would reveal to us the peace that you've given us in your son. Amen. Uh, so as we've been talking about in the liturgy of our service, we're in a season of Advent, uh, and one of my um, favorite writers, a guy named Henry Nowen, he says this about Advent. He says, it is the beautiful task of Advent to awaken in us in all of us, memories of goodness, and thus to do open the doors of hope. See, Advent is a season of expectation as we look toward Jesus' coming, but also as we look forward to him coming back. And it is therefore a season of hope. And one of the hopes that Jesus gives us, which we'll see in our text today, is the promise of peace. See, what I hope to spend some time together on this morning is how the peace of Christ gives us peace with ourselves. But if we're honest, as we dive in, hope is often difficult. See, hoping on the other side of heaven is vulnerable. And I would argue that often to rejoice and to be joyful is a very vulnerable act. Rather, it's our pattern, it's, it's my pattern, uh, to be restless and to be anxious. And it would have been difficult, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Philippians, for the church of Philippi as well. See, this church was uh, two things. It was both a place where God had done great things. We see in the book of Acts that uh, God had used gifted women that have later labored alongside Paul to bring about radical conversions, like the Philippian jailer. It was also a place that Paul loved deeply. If you're new to the Bible and you read many of his letters, most of his letters are primarily to address a problem that's going on in the church. He writes to a church uh, about a problem that needed an attention. But in Philippians, we see that Paul's fundamental aim to the church in Philippi was not to address a problem, but to express his gratitude and to encourage them to rejoice. But this was also a church that was experiencing a difficult transition this was a church that didn't have a pastor anymore because their pastor had been imprisoned for proclaiming the gospel. They're experiencing opposition from a Jewish party. They're experiencing persecution because to live in the Roman Empire at that time and to proclaim that Jesus was king was a direct act of treason against Caesar. This was, in fact, the reason behind Paul's arrest and why he was in prison. See, all these things were reason, despite God's amazing work 
in Philippi to be restless and anxious, to struggle to rejoice and to know that God is at hand. And if we're honest with ourselves, it can be difficult for us to have peace. See, we are also anxious creatures. We are restless. Uh, One of my favorite quotes is by Tina Fey in her book, Bossy Pants. And she says this, my ability to turn good news into anxiety is rivaled only by my ability to turn anxiety into anxiety into chin acne, right? And we know this even in our context as a local church because we are going through a pastoral transition ourselves for less dire reasons. No one's been in prisons, right? We are not under the threat of Roman persecution, but we have been living in an anxious time, a time post-COVID, a time where politics are anxious, a time where inflation makes us anxious about our well-being, right? We're living in an anxious time. And so the problem that we see in this text that Paul is um, addressing and presented in the church in Philippi is how is, it, how is it possible to experience joy and peace in this life rather than restlessness and anxiety? How is that possible? And this is more complicated than I think we often think or acknowledge Because in the book of Philippians, which many call the book of joy, Paul argues that joy can actually be experienced in times of great uncertainty and even in persecution. See, when Paul says in verse 4 to rejoice always, he is writing this from prison, right? Paul believes this so fervently that in chapter 1 of his book, he argues that his joy cannot be diminished in life or in death. He says, if I live, I get to serve Christ. And if I die, I get to be with him. Right? And in chapter 3, he argues that suffering is rubbish. By the way, that word is not rubbish. It's an expletive. But that word, he compared, uh, he says that his suffering is rubbish compared to the peace he's been given in Christ. In fact, he argues that his suffering only brings him closer to Jesus because it gives him a better appreciation for his death and life. So Paul is arguing that because God has made peace with us, we can have peace with ourselves. And this is a bold claim. It's not about clinical anxiety. That's not what we're talking about today. It's not about uh, having a concern for those we love, right? Jesus uh, presents uh, and uh, acknowledges and affirms our emotions in the Gospels. But it is about a restlessness that tears us up inside about the future. It's that famous quote by St. Augustine, if you've never heard it. He says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And so what we see in this passage as this problem is presented is that there's a sudden shift, and it happens in verse 5. Did you see it? Paul says, the Lord is at hand. See, at hand is not about proximity. It's about expectation. Jesus, our Savior, who has made peace for us by his blood, is coming back. That's what the Bible proclaims. Jesus, our king, will rule forever. The leaders in our lives are only in power for a time. But Jesus' power is eternal and near. He is at hand. And this is why it is important for the church to celebrate Advent, to shape our expectation for Christ's coming. Because if Jesus is at hand, I would argue it changes everything. If Jesus is at hand, it changes our actions. It calls us to uh, a gentle forbearance. That word in your text you see is reasonableness. 
right? This word, I won't be all uh, Greek on you, but this word is used in the Bible and other places to describe the gentleness and compassion of God towards sinners. This word is used in the book of James to describe a Christian who remains gentle even under persecution. In Philippians 2, Paul writes a famous hymn called the Christ Hymn that describes in great detail the humility of Christ. And the point is this, if this gentle king is near, it changes our ability to forbear difficult circumstances. It allows us to be gentle because Jesus, the gentle king, is coming again to make every wrong right. And further, if this gentle king has come, if he has already come in the incarnation in the flesh and been so gentle with us because he believes that you are of great value, so valuable that he died for you, we are better able to see the value of our neighbors. It calls us to gentle forbearance. When I think of this, I think of uh, our bulletins, uh, right? So I don't know about you, but after every service, I take my bulletin, I throw it in the car, and it sits in there for a long time until my car gets so dirty that Ray tells me, clean your dang car, and I throw it in a trash can, right? Some of you might wad up your gum and stick it in there. Some of you might pay, make a paper airplane, right? But what if you were to compare the way that we treat our song sheets, our bulletins, with how you handle your final project in a printmaking class? You think nothing of folding the sheet in half you have today, of throwing it at somebody, of making a paper airplanes, of using it as gum disposal. But it would be frightening for your final project of your printmaking class to wad that up and do the same. See, how you handle the paper that you think is valuable is a good illustration of what it looks like to be gentle with another person. You're protective, you're careful, you're thoughtful, thinking about their good because you recognize their value. But most pertinent to our series about peace in the end of this passage, Jesus gives us a solution to our restless hearts. And this solution is unlike any other. If you or I were to walk into a bookstore today, if we were to walk into Barnes and Nobles, if you were to zoom Amazon, if you were to do a search, most therapy books or self-help books that speak about anxiety are about techniques or about methods to vanquish anxious thoughts. This is helpful. I'm not against that, right? But what's interesting is that Jesus's answer to our restlessness is not about the absence of something, but about the presence of something. It's about the peace of God, like we see in verse 7. And so what we see in this text is that the gospel, that Jesus is the answer to the problem because of this peace. So what is this peace of God? Well, we see that it surpasses all understanding. See, what the Bible proclaims is that the God of the universe made peace with us who were his enemies through the willing sacrifice of his son because he loves you. Right? This doesn't make sense. Romans 5 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person uh, one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for you because you earned it. He died for you because he loves you and willingly desired to make peace with you, with God, even though we were his enemies. This surpasses all understanding. Right? We don't act this way with our neighbors often, right? If we were to look at common movies or books, choosing vengeance is often the thing that our normal instinct moves toward. There are plenty of movies and books where the protagonist chooses to not choose vengeance, but this is always seen as a defiance of our instinct, as a heroic act. 
And yet Jesus' nature is to call those who took him to the cross his friends. In John 15, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he continues, You, the church, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. See, the presence of the peace of God gives our restless hearts what we need. Because in suffering, our restlessness, our anxiety often tells us that we are being punished. Or that God has left us. Or that God does not love us. But the gospel tells us something completely different. The gospel reminds us in our suffering that we are not being punished. For those in Christ, Jesus has already taken the punishment of our sin on the cross once and for all. See, his final words before his death were, it is finished. (coughs) The gospel reminds us in our suffering that God has not left us. Jesus in Mark 15 was abandoned on the cross. He famously cried, uh, or cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he did this so that we would never have to cry those words. That even in our suffering, God has not left you. The gospel reminds us in our suffering that God loves us. That your circumstances are not the proof of God's love for you, but the cross is the proof of God's love for you. I don't know if you've heard the popular hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I won't sing it, don't worry. Um, But I don't know if you know the story behind the hymn. There's a man named Horatio Spafford, the writer of the hymn. And what happens is that his family is in a time of great suffering. His son has just died. His son was four years old. And in that time period, he decides that his wife and his four daughters need a vacation. And so he sends them on vacation to Europe to care for them. He puts them on a ship and gives them uh, a stay in Europe. And so they get on this ship. But what happens is that the ship sinks. It along the way is hit by something, and it begins to sink. And his wife, Anna, is the only one to survive. And she writes back a letter that says this, Saved alone, what shall I do? And so Horatio gets on a ship to meet Anna. And as his ship is encountering a storm, as it is at fear of sinking, he writes this hymn and writes these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Why would a man experiencing great loss write that? The peace of God guarded his heart, and his mind. See, this gospel gives us great peace, so much so that Paul says in verse 7 that it guards our hearts and our minds. What does this mean? Well, this word guard is sometimes actually a military term. It refers to a military garrison established as a peacekeeping force present in Philippi. Do you know that the peace of God given to you in Jesus is a guard? 
a peacekeeping force for your heart and your mind in this life. That the gospel is actually deeply relevant to our everyday lives. That it is a gift for you in suffering and restlessness. Not to simply expel your anxious thoughts, but rather the gospel is the antidote to our anxiety because it is a present guard, a peacekeeping force. This is why we can actually have peace with ourselves. And if this is true, we need to remember the peace of God given to us in Jesus, don't we? And Paul tells us four practical ways to remember the peace of God and therefore have peace with ourselves. I'll move through them really briefly. First in verse 4, he says to remember that the Lord is at hand. That Jesus is actually coming back to bring an eternal peace. In verse 6, he reminds us to pray to give thanksgiving and supplication, to make requests to him. Do you know that God actually wants to be in relationship with you? That he delights to answer your prayer? That prayer reminds us who God is. When I was um, uh, working in Boston for a time, I was working with a pastor there <clears throat> in a church who would do a number of service projects in different neighborhoods. And so we would work with all kinds of churches across different spectrums. We worshiped in a Unitarian church at the time. And I, I asked him and met with him, and I was like, hey, Omar, how do you get a sense of, you know, when you're working with people, kind of what they think about God, where they're at with their spirituality, connect with them about the mission that you're doing? And he said, I asked them to pray before we start. Praying reveals a lot about who we think God is. In verse 8, we see, and you don't see these next two in your bulletin, but Paul continues, and in verse 8, he, he says to reflect on God's hand in the world. He writes, finally, brothers, what is true, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As the now in quote I began with put it, it is the beautiful task of Advent to awaken in us memories of goodness, and thus to open the doors of hope. When I was a student in college, I was an economics major, which I am not using now, uh, but uh, my professor at the time used to tell our class, if you want to be a good economist, you need to reflect on econ economics regularly. You have to think about it at the store. You have to think about it in the paper. You have to reflect about it in your relationships. Well, if this is true about economics, it's very true about Jesus. That if we want to know his peace, we actually have to reflect on his hand in the world. We finally see in verse 9 that he reminds us that to know his peace, we need to practice Christ's character and commands. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, early in verse 5, Paul tells us this by urging the church to practice gentle forbearance and suffering. And the point is simple. Living like Jesus helps us love Jesus. Right? And so briefly, how does this unfold in our lives practically as we close? Well, we ourselves are in a time of a pastoral search. And whether you were uh, attending Res Pres, uh, you started attending Res Pres before or after the search began, the peace of God is a guard for our hearts and our minds. 
Whether we are tempted to restlessly look forward to a pastor who will start all the programs we want, or we're restlessly looking backwards for a pastor just like the previous one, or we're just anxiously being concerned about when this dang search will end, the Lord is at hands, even in times of transition. The peace of God is not in jeopardy, and no pastor, good or bad, can take away that peace or give it. Only Jesus can give us the peace we long for, and he has already done it on the cross. If you are experiencing a difficult financial situation, the peace of God is a guard for our hearts and our minds. Hudson Taylor, a missionary in China, wrote home to his wife during a difficult financial time in their work. He wrote this, we have 25 cents in all the promises of God. Do you know that you have the promises of God? Jesus cares about our circumstances. He often provides bountifully, but he also reminds us that our possessions on this earth are fragile, that moth and rust can destroy them, that thieves can break in and steal, but our heavenly treasure is eternal. Do not forget the peace that God has given to you. His promises are surer than any contract, any bank account, or any loan. If you're experiencing restlessness about politics, the peace of God is a guard for our hearts and our minds. Leaders come and go, no matter what side of the political spectrum you fall on, but King Jesus is at hand to rule forever. He promises to bring an eternal peace. If you're experiencing suffering, the peace of God is a guard for our hearts and our minds. He loves you. He has bought you at the price of his own life. He was forsaken so that you would never be forsaken. Jesus promises that he is coming back to usher in his kingdom where there is no sickness, no pain, no death, and no tears. Friends, God has given us his peace. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we are thankful that you do so much more for us than just expel our anxiety, that you actually are present and near, that you give us something, that you give us the peace of God, which you have bought with your life. We thank you for that. We pray that as we feebly come to you, that you would nourish us, that you would give us your peace even when we feel restless, that you would remind us that you are sure and you are near, that you are at hand. It's all these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with